I'm Mitch and Barbs. How are we doing, my guys? What's going on? Good. Happy to be here. I'm really good, thanks. <laughs> so before we started, I said about suiting up. You guys look the part, look like I'm dressed for a funeral. We'll get that out of the way straight away. But anyway, we move on. Um, there's so much to prelude this whole conversation with, you know, the high profile people, everything else you've worked with, all these instances. But first and foremost, how are we doing today? What's going on? Yeah, really good, actually. Yeah, been, uh, we've been, I've been down here in Northampton a couple of hours now. So, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, enjoying the, uh, the sights of the city. Um, so, yeah, other than that, really good. How you doing, Ryan? You all right? Yeah, I'm buzzing, to be fair. I know like, how many uh, good stories we can give the listeners and, and everything. So I'm just really excited. We've got... Um, like Mitch on board and um, like yourself, Dan's all help, help you out. So I'm just, I'm just really excited for this podcast. It's going to be a belt of an episode. Absolutely fantastic. So one of the things we sort of spoke about initially was obviously McGregor being one of you. Is it a client, is it a principal? What's your term for your person you're working with? So the term is principal. Um, so the, the client is the person who pays for the service. The, the principal is the, the person you're affording protection to. It can be the same person. So in, in this instance, he was technically the, uh, the same person. Um, and we'd been with him since around 2017. So um, just after the second Diaz fight and before the, the Mayweather fight is when we took over his security. So we were kind of there for all the, the highs yeah. and lows of his, his, his career since then. So we kind of had a, a really good part of it, you know what I mean? And um, we were really fortunate. We've done a, a lot of interesting things with him that we can uh, we can talk about obviously <laughs> um so like you know for example we were at fight island we did multiple mm. press tours we did the the press tour for the mayweather fight that was that was probably more interesting mm. than the fight itself actually oh, build up to it was was way more interesting than the fight itself um especially with what happened in new york and then they came to london and there was a bit of kind of inter-team rivalry mm. between the money team and our organisation we were working for. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was some, some good stuff. I mean, with the, someone like McGregor, who's very, at least on the surface, very volatile, someone's very expressive, very emotive, how do you manage that sort of principle where they're the aggressor as well in most of these situations, or you're meant to keep them safe? Okay, so you do encounter this a lot where you're... Your job ultimately is protection of the principal and your job is to protect them in in every sense. So you're protecting them not only from physical threats outside of their their uh, sort of, you know, outside of their own capability, but you're also protecting their reputation, mm. their brand image. Um, and it can be notoriously difficult at times um, because just like everyone else, they have good days and bad days. There's days where, they're, where they'll spend hours with fans signing autographs and everything else. And then there's days where they'll kind of blank everyone and go into their hotel room. But what people haven't seen, you know, behind that is, you know, you see a, a short clip on YouTube mm. of someone doing something. What they haven't seen is they've had a bad day, some meeting mm. hasn't gone the way they wanted it to go or something's happened or, you know, they have the same problem, exactly the same problems we have. You know, their cars break down and... You know, they get into arguments with their partners mm. and the kids misbehave and everything else like that as well for them. Do you know what I mean? So oh, 100%. It, it, it can be really difficult for you as an employee um, to deal with it. And the way I kind of always approached it is just literally tell them, like, who am I here for? I'm here for you. Mm. Like, look, boss, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm, you know, this, this isn't a good idea, man. It's not worth it. Look, you know, and there has been times where, you know, the truth is you're probably every a-hole under the sun and, mm. you know, they've lost their temper with you. But, you know, it's sort of, they'll probably wake up in the morning and they'll be great. They'll think like, thank God, you know, Ryan was there or thank God Mitch was there or Dave was there mm. last night because these things have a way of getting out of control. But fans won't be happy, but the, the, the person you're looking after, like, will be. Because I've looked for when they've looked after sort of like A-list, um, like music stars, sometimes their life's like so... Um, like fast and have so busy Dan that they might, might want to stop and sign and get the photo sort of thing but their tour manager or, or their schedule they might be like running behind they have to be at certain places at certain times mm. so if they do like rush past it, no no it's, it, a lot of time it's for a reason but that's what like we're here for to, uh, so they, their fans don't ever get annoyed at the principal they get like annoyed at us so we sort mm. of take that uh, as part of our job we take that off them so they'll call us and, and then we'll just we'll take the blame I wouldn't even say like oh it's my fault and 
So I think mm. all the like Facebook, all the social media go about oh, the security, blame them. So they always look like the good guy sort of thing. But yeah. so a lot of the time they would love to stop and chat. But if they ever like don't, it, it generally is like a reason behind it. Like they've got to be like, like Mitch said, well, it depends what day they had. They might have had the big bust up with a partner like, uh, or something like Mitch said. But sometimes it generally is because they live such a fast lifestyle. They have to be at certain places at certain mm. times. They, they ain't got time for it. Especially some people... Um, like Mitch looked after some of like the, the really high level people. They, they get like it's not just like a couple of people turn up. It's like swarmed anywhere in the, the world. Like just you get absolutely swarmed. It's a lot of the time consumption. You know what I mean? I think a lot of it is very unnatural. As to say, like as normal people, being surrounded by that many people fanatically, expecting so much of you all the time, is not a natural thing. And to try to process that information anyway, like you hear when celebrities get their fame, their money, they go and do excessive things. And like if you had that kind of platform, that kind of freedom, and that fuel to sort of burn this fire, you look me in the eyes and tell me you'd be any different. You know what I mean? Of course, you know, if you were, you know, a billionaire, like, you know, I've worked for bands and things, and if you were a billionaire in your early 20s, what do you think you'd be doing? Mm. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. And there is, you know, you have to, you have to empathise with them in a way. There is no, there's no book written for how to deal with overnight fame, fortune and mm. stardom. There simply isn't, you know, they're, trust me, they're just muddling their way through life exactly the same as we are. There's no, a lot of the time, there's no master plan, especially when they're young. Some of the older guys who, like, you know, I was, I was on the Rod Stewart World Tour. Mm. I've worked with Schwarzenegger. I've worked with the Stallone family. Some of the older guys, like, they kind of have got it figured out because mm. they've realised, like, they've been, they are real rock stars. They've yeah. been there and they've done it all and nothing really bothers them anymore. There's no pretense or anything like that anymore. It's kind of like... Sort of they fed up with yeah, they're mm. kind of just going around doing whatever they that do. They take them. it in their stride a lot mm. more. I had a bit of that with some of the older clients as well, like, like Sir Cliff Richard, or just anyone really that had been like sort of um, in the media for like such a long time. You can tell that they're sick. But that's another reason why they like hire us as well, because to sort of uh, like deal with the fans, because they're um, sort of fed up with it. But like someone who just wins the X Factor or goes from like, like quite high up in a mm. short space of time, usually like first couple of years, they're really excited about it, but you do see it, how like the attitude does change after a while, like like it would for everyone. But um, it's definitely interested in job and like, I love it. Like in space of time since uh, I've jumped on, on board from doing this job, like some of the scenarios I've been in, the people I've met, it's just been like literally like, unbelievable. You know what I mean? It's been like, like so good. Like uh, I highly recommend it, like especially if you got out of the military and you're looking to like pursue and go into something else, like the money, you get a lot paid a lot more money, and you got um, it's a good thinking game as well, and, and you, you learn like so much, especially about like human behaviour, mm. and um, like I'm always studying the game, always reading about it, trying to get better, and like it's just like it's sort of a bit because you study jiu-jitsu yourself, mm. and it's the same as that, like do you can't really like ever master it, mm. and it's always different ways to do it, and then. Same with like an armbar, like doing the different angles again. Mm. No one can say what's right and wrong. So if you get the armbar on, they submit in the competition. It taps, tap, yeah. Yeah, taps, taps. The same as protection. If you get a client out of the fire exit, avoiding the, the attacker, no one can say like, oh, they should have done this way. Well, we, He's safe here. Yeah. Yeah, so what do you want? It's just like, it's really like fascinating to learn about it all. Like, especially like myself, um, with a conflict management, because I'm not a big like guy compared to most people in the industry. Like I've always got to try and bank on like my brain as well. Like trying to like fight, like, fight clever and like, Box clever and stuff as well. So um, yeah, it's brilliant. If anyone, if anyone's listening, like they can, uh, they should definitely get involved in. Like Mitch is a good person to contact with that. Mm. So there's so many things to go into that, and there's so many different things. There. Whilst we're on the point of people being able to contact, so regards with Mitch and people getting working with you and get to start with you, how can people get in contact with you for this kind of? Role? Well, to, to do this role, you have to be you have to be licensed by the government. You have to undertake um, a training course, which is it's pretty intense actually. Mm -hmm. The and and it's a lot more. Um, mentally demanding <coughs> the craft of protection is rather than physically um, but yeah if you you can add me on Facebook or you can um, email me anytime and I'm more than happy to talk to people about it but we are running the training I'm doing it with a company called Bydand so you can come and see us um, some ex-special uh, forces guys and um, myself and then a Another couple of experienced uh, security professionals will be doing that. We'll get the information for all that in the um, description for the video anyway at the end of it. So be sure to check that out as well. They so, could, get, could get their own like sort of stories there as well. Cause... Well, it's more so, so if it's one of those roles I was saying beforehand where where do you even begin to sign up? How many layers of this going into it do you have to be at this stage? 
and where we're going to go into this a bit further is one thing you said about the military background and then a potential career path. So you were saying, obviously, you had your own military career path. But then tell us more about how you got into this role in the first place, that transition. Yeah, um, well, to be honest, like, I always, I always wanted to be like a fighter. That was like sort of a dream, like UFC. Like, I loved the, uh, that was like sort of the dream and everything. But then I started like, doing like uh, some door work to sort of like pay for Padman, pay for some personal training. And I was training quite a lot of multiple gyms at the start. Um, the MMA wasn't involved in the UK so much then, so I had to travel around to quite a lot of different gyms. So it was petrol money. So I started doing doors. And you're networking like really good. That's the best thing you could be in this industry, a good networker. Like, that could open your doors to other, um, to other jobs, the more people you meet, the more opportunities you get. And uh, with that, with the um, military, a lot of people went to uh, Afghanistan with, when they got out of tour, or got out of the military, they, they went into the close protection circuit, because that's what they call um, the circuit. And then the opportunity just like, I come after that really. And then I ended up like, like sort of training less on the MMA. And then I got like really sucked into the, um, like the private security industry like, and the close protection work, because, it was often good money, and like, like I said earlier, give me like a really good lifestyle, and give me some like really good like sto- stories to tell. Like both of us got some like really good like, like stories we could tell people, the listeners that would like that quite enjoy. Like, so with that, I was just saying there. So you said briefly beforehand about how where you got into this role was someone mentioned it, someone dropped out last minute for a thing for an X Factor work. Was it? How were you saying with that? Yeah, it was, it was someone like for, um, for the X Factors. Uh, I'd see, obviously seen that I'd obviously like got, uh, I was on the circuit, I did a bit of uh, CP work and my first sort of high profile job, if you can call it that, with someone that's a high net worth uh, like client was like someone someone in their, their team had got, um, they had like a sort of family emergency. I don't know too much about it, but it was something like so quite serious where they couldn't do it. And they, they asked me if I could fill in. And I was like, oh, brilliant. So they picked me up on, on the way down to the job and I just filled in that day. And then they, I, I tried my best. I did everything like the best of my ability. And they took a bit of a liking to us. And they said, oh, how do you fancy doing the next one? So they, I did that. And then I ended up staying with that like, team for quite quite a long time, like well, multiple, uh, multiple years, really, like uh, just working with them. So that's how I got into that team originally. So just like, you just got to take the opportunity when it comes. Because sometimes like the opportunity d- does arrive because the biggest job that I ever did in the industry was I was just a random uh, CPO on a task and um, the, t- the team leader of, of our team, I, I got put up to TIC after the, um, the first day and then on the, on the second day, like the team leader actually like had to go back to the ship for like a different uh, task in. They, they asked me, oh, do you fancy like uh, being the team leader? And I was like really, inexperienced. I was probably one of the most, I probably was the most inexperienced person out of that group of people, but I, I, I just took it like what Mitch says, like you got to pull the trigger I stepped up and ended up like doing like a the biggest job that I ever done, which was at the COP twenty six with like um, attached to Secret Service with the Americans. So, and that, that was just like once in a lifetime opportunity. So, yeah, like, that's what I'd say. If anyone listen, you just got to like just got to have the confidence, just like go for it, really. But when once we went past the course and training with Mitch, he got we got me to a level where like I felt confident enough to do it because one of the last questions he asked me after completing the course and after he trained me up, he said, oh, "Do you think you could do the task of your own now?" And I said, "Oh." I'd, I'll be good to go tomorrow, you know what I mean? So like, it was, it was really good training, so that's like credit to credit to him, like. Yeah, Side it. point, just with that, when you're working with, say the COP26, with like the American Secret Service and things like that, yeah. how does that work, regards of conflict of planning and things like that? Like, how, how would you manage that sort of situation? Yeah, there was like a lot of planning that went into it. Like we was, uh, we had like the day team and the night team, there was nine members for each, that was the British. And then we was obviously attached to uh, secret service they're the ones that like sort of like called the shots but when uh, the principal had come in sort of thing Dan it was like absolutely amazing like something I'll never forget like it was sort of like a, like a movie sort of thing like one of like Stallone's or Arnie's movies like they had the high um, the l- low level air, air support and um, all the snipers and all the cat teams there and everything it was like absolutely brilliant like made the cellar into like a nerve cell it was like all, it was all brilliant the media like were all there, it was just like a really like sort of surreal moment. It's, it's something I never thought I'd like, get to like that level either really. I always, well, end goal was always like, oh, if I could do something with the Royal Family one day, like years later down the line, that would be like absolutely amazing. But to bypass that and get, get that and get the coin from Americans was like, was, was actually brilliant. But um, I felt a bit like I should really been there sort of thing. Some people in the industry like that have worked, done like so many other cool jobs sort of thing, like didn't get a chance to do it. So it was just, just like a bit of luck, good, like right place, right time sort of thing. I think that's in this industry as well, right place, right time. So sure, Mitch has got some like great um, examples where he's been in the right place, right time for certain jobs as well. Like, um, definitely. When it, before we get into that, just one thing with that luck is a very 
and you work hard, you take opportunities, you take the actual chance of doing it. Luck is very carefree. I want to give you the absolute respect of everything you've done in your life so far are opportunities you've taken. So to sort of put it off and say, you're, all these things you're doing, a lot of people wouldn't have the courage to take these risks and do these things you've done. So no, give yourself a bit more credit. I think you're the man. That's why, you know, you're here today. I think you're the boy. And I just say, Mitch, regards of sort of reacting and things like Ryan was saying there, what sort of examples have you got on that? Have you had anything... Okay, so um, I'll go back to your previous point. So a little bit about working with uh, different teams, different organisations. Mm. Just in my experience, I've had almost the, the, the complete opposite where um, I was working in the Ukraine um, and we had a team of uh, Ukrainian Special Forces guys with us who like, are really good, actually. Like, I really rated them. Um, but the one thing I did find was they were very willing to work with us like it was all it was pretty much the polar opposite we called the shots they mm. they did things the way we wanted them to be done um we were working in and this kind of ties in with both questions here we were working in russia um <clears throat> a couple of years ago and we had a team of a team of uh local guys or russians with us now we got ourselves into a little bit of trouble, right? Um, the threat level increased dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, and we were near enough under siege, right, in this hotel, right? This, we're in this hotel and it got surrounded by about 300 people, right? And the, the star is it, we were with, he's a big, big face and um, he's got a big rival over there in mm. Russia. And we were, we were literally surrounded. Um, now, don't get me wrong, we spent our time, like, in the Ritz, in cheeseburgers and drink, yeah. the, drinking milkshakes. Like, there's been worse sieges yeah, yeah, yeah. in history, do you know what I mean? So it was, it was pretty it? relaxed. But, um, you know, the threat level came up really high. Um, and I always enjoyed working in Russia. I've been over there to work. Um, and I've always enjoyed working there because the one thing I do know is, like, if anyone starts anything in Moscow, like, Putin finishes mm. it. Um, so within, like, you know, a couple of hours, we had a team of uh, these Russian Special Forces guys. And, like, from what I... They all turned up in, like, just completely plain clothes. And none of them were... They were all actually very small guys. Um, but, you know, when when yeah. you looked into their eyes, these guys have, like, they've, they've snatched some things. souls, man. Yeah. They're, not, they're not out there winning <laughs> titles. They're taking lives, man. And, like... They, they um, you know, they're all armed to the teeth and everything like mm. that. Um, but once again, they were, they, they came to kind of help us get out, and they, they were really malleable and they worked really well with us. Now there was a team of thirty of us. I had, I, I was running a team of thirty guys there. Only one of them spoke English, mm. so as you can imagine, that yeah, presented yeah. a lot of problems. And the more tired he got as the days went on his English started to run out, you know, because he was fatigued. Um, so that presented a lot of problems. In the, the Emirates, I was working with the uh, the Emirati Special Forces. Um, <clears throat> and once again, these guys, they, they travel all over the world to do their training with different organisations. But once again, they're re they are really malleable. They're really good, switched on, and they... There's, I think what it is when you're dealing with people who've really been there and done it, there's mm. no sort of, you know, there's no cock off about it. Everyone just understands we've all been there. We've, we've got the T-shirt. Mm. Let's just crack on and get the job done. And in my experience, I've just found everyone has worked together really well. And, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to be a part of those teams and meet those, you know, meet those different men and women that have, uh, you know, and they're operating in their, in their mm. world at the, the very highest levels, do you know what I mean? And there's some some switched, some real switched on guys, man. Like, um, so that was really, I was really lucky there um, to, to, to even be a part of that and, you know, have that sort of experience. Um, and these are some of the, especially in the Emirates, these are the, you know, the, 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 royal, fa the royal family's personal sort of bodyguards mm. were working with us, you know, and um, <clears throat> we had a, we had a good time out there. We had a lot of, uh, uh, they're very hospitable people, put it that way. They showed us a great mm. deal of hospitality, yeah. It was, it was fantastic. So what would you differentiate between a bodyguard and a close protection officer? Is that the layman's term? Or is it... So I think um, a, a bodyguard, it's just like, a, it's a bit, I guess it's a bit of an outdated term, really. It's a bit of an outdated terminology, same as bouncer and doorman type of thing. It's, mm. it's just, um, you know, there's no, there's not one that's necessarily right and wrong. Mm. Like I said, it's just a, it's a bit of an outdated a bit of a term. Yeah, yeah, that's all. 
No, fair enough. So when it comes to that sort of stake of a principle, say when it's a celebrity, something happens, so on and so forth, but when it's politically driven and things like that, how do you even begin to plan those situations? Where do you even start? So once again, it all starts in training. So you are trained. Um, basically, what you have to do is you have to look at risk to fret. So you look. You start off by looking at has the ultimately right. You start off with the assets. What needs to be protected? Does the person need to be protected? Do their kids, do their family, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, mm -hmm. the rest of it, right? Homes, yachts, offices, um, other modes of transport, so helicopters, yeah, yeah, jets. Exactly. So what are the assets we need to protect? What are the threats? So has there been previous attacks? Because if you know what's happened previously, that's going to give you a good indication to what's going to happen mm. again, isn't it, right? So has there been previous attacks? Are there any current threats? So is there any social media? And you know, especially nowadays, it's so easy for you to access. Mm. You would never have been able years and years ago to access, you know, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's voicemail, would mm. you? Whereas now you can just get straight into his inbox, can't you, on Instagram or yeah, Snapchat or something? Yeah. So, you know, is there any current threats? And also, is there any perceived threats? You know, what could mm. you perceive to be a problem? Because just because me and if we now take you into a high crime area, mm. just because me and Ryan are there now, does it mean that that's no longer a high crime area? Mm. Of course, it doesn't. It still is. You know, what yeah. can we perceive about the environment? And then we need to look at what. So we look at risk to threat. So what's the exposure to the threat without getting too technical? Mm. Like, where are we most likely to encounter it? And then what? measure do we need to put in place so do we need armored vehicles do we need weapons what manpower or woman power do we need what you know um what level of skill and experience do we need because you know I, i'm not a trained soldier mm. ryan is a trained soldier if you're going into the middle of baghdad i'd much rather have yeah. you'd much rather have ryan with you than me. he's been trained in ied recognition and you know he's um skill at arms and everything else like that so you know look at what experience and skills the individuals around you have and where you can utilize them and that's that's the very beginning realistically there's a mountain of work to do before you ever even leave the front door with the mm. principal believe it or not it's because for us we always say prevention's better than cure it's simple as that it's not about winning the fight it's about never getting into it 100%. in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Avoiding the fight, yeah. Yeah, it's all avoidance. And the, the slightest sign of anything iffy, get out of there. That's the, yeah. the key, really, to it. I do that when I watch like things like the press conferences and the tour sort of thing. You see like things like a lot differently. Like, because obviously, like now when when I watched um, like when Colin was on the tour sort of thing, there was moments where well, when like someone like threw a bottle at the principal sort of thing, and then you see where people are sort of thing, and Mitch actually like got got the. Is that in Russia? Where was that one? Yeah, it was in Kiev. Or, it was in Russia, wasn't it? It's was in Moscow. Moscow, that was, that was yeah. Mm. And then like, Mitch also like got got him out sort of thing. He had like, like quite a lot a lot of views sort of thing. And I was like, oh, there, there he is sort of thing. And if like UFC's on now, if like like sort of cage side, like you see where people sit at the weigh-in sort of thing, and people wouldn't like clock who they are, but you can see where, where they are, and then you you always sort of like, never really turn off. You always think, oh, that should be the threat sort of thing, and then you see like certain team members that you like, might recognise. And then I remember when like Colin was against like uh, the Octagon cage, I see like um, the, I it was a Poirier, the Poirier rematch. And then uh, I see like uh, sort of a massive, I recognise them eyes. I've seen like Mitch's VDI eyes. Like, oh, there he is, something. <laughs> so it's really, really cool when you like, when you see it like in motion and you always, always like, like see it. But um, yeah, it's like, it's brilliant just to like watch it really and like see like people that you, well, it's the same as you watching MMA, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Like, you know, you look at the craft, don't you? And it's the same. If I'm watching, like, Boris, on the news, Boris Johnson, yeah, you're looking at, like, I'm, I'm looking at what his security are doing. I'm not watching what he's doing. I'm like, you do, it's the same as, you know, like, watching an MMA fight on the telly or something for you guys, isn't it? So With the um, Khabib McGregor, the whole brawl thing happening, how do you even begin to preempt something like that? So you're saying about risk assessment and things like that. We can't. When, when Where things... would you even... <laughs> When things like that happen, like it's just um, like you said before, like when like, a lot of times, a lot of times things just go. You could stay, spend up all night, like you could spend like a whole week, like mm. planning everything down to T. But when the actual operation comes, everything could just go out, out the window, and that's like, one of the moments where everything just like goes. And then, like a good close protection operative, like you just got to like adapt and overcome. You just got to like think on the spot and just do like your best of your ability, sort of thing. But um, it, it, a scenario like that, it does present a number of problems. Now I wasn't there, right? Um, I know that I know guys who were there, obviously, mm. um, because we used to rotate around. So sometimes I would, sometimes I wouldn't. Now, the 
I don't think anyone expected that to yeah, happen. Yeah, like, like Usually, it. like, even if there is a big rivalry, it's kind of left in the cage. Yeah, there's a few yeah. of them or it's not um, the whole as a, as a CP team, you've got to, you've got to understand, like, the, the, the CP team there have got very, very limited capability because we're not security for the arena. Mm. The UFC employ their own security. We're not allowed cage side. We're not generally... You have to stay at the dressing room because it's, still, the it's a right total, total conflict of interest for exactly mm. that reason. That's why us as the bodyguards wouldn't be allowed there mm. or as the CPs because there's a total conflict of interest because in case something like that happens, it's now down to the local law enforcement and the in-house security mm. to deal with that. So um, there has been a number of occasions where we have been allowed sort of cage side, but that's only down to our relationship with the the, the in-house security mm. they've kind of you know just squeezed us through yeah, type, yeah. yeah just squeezed us through type of thing um but yeah i don't think anyone could i don't think anyone could have predicted that to mm. happen to the scale it did i mean we everyone knew there was bad blood there but like i said in the i've seen hundreds of grudge matches and it's mm. usually like it's left in the cage then it's, isn't it and yeah, it's yeah, like no, you know handshake and everyone walks away but that went yeah that went turbo pretty quick to be fair <laughs> but where it gets interesting like you're saying there regards if we sort of get left at the dressing room they've got to go out in the age of social media and media in general they need the brand to be exposed the person being front and center in the camera whereas like you're saying about the diamond formation things like that when you're protecting your principal yeah. it conflicts with that have you had any instances where you've had to override the media to keep your principal safe and um those sort of things like for example mcgregor walks out the cameras are in front of him things like that we have to keep them safe from say the fans or things like that. oh yeah i mean like you know especially with um you know current stars like mcgregor or you know even to a lesser extent your your, your schwarzeneggers and stallones they don't they they've got big cult followings mm. but they're not necessarily current are they yes. um <clears throat> but it's a, a daily occurrence. It's, well, it's not even daily. It's multiple times a day. It's every time they leave their house, yacht, um, restaurant, anything, there will be crowds waiting there for you. Mm. Now, the one thing I think in the UK you benefit from is, believe it or not, it's always the same people. Like, and it doesn't matter if you're in Manchester, London, Glasgow, Edinburgh, mm. it's the same probably 20 autograph hunters you see every time. The paparazzi are the same people. So you, over a period of time, you know them, they know you. Mm. And like, there'll be days where we know we're not going out. They'll all be stood outside the hotel and I'll be like, you're right, Mo, you're right, fellas. Look, he's not coming out today. May as well go home. Come back tomorrow. We're going out tomorrow. You might catch him. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And so it is a daily occurrence um, where you de you're dealing with... And the truth is, they are fans, but the problem for CPOs or, you know... Um, the, the PES team especially is, well, how do you know the difference between a good one and a bad one? Mm. There's loads of people hanging around. Most of them are fanatics. How do you know the difference between the good ones and the bad ones? Mm. And the best advice I, I ever give people, and I tell all my students, is this just, when in doubt, there is no doubt. Like, mm. if you're unhappy with any person, any situation, any environment, that's the time to act. And sometimes it can just be as simple as just going and feeling them out, having a little conversation with them. Because what you're doing there is you're screening them, you're profiling them, like see how they respond to your interactions. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it's that kind of, that gut feeling thing, isn't it? You've got to, you know, one of the main things I think is you have to trust yourself. If you're, someone gives you a bad feeling, like if in doubt, there is no doubt. If you've got one, it's in your mind for a reason. That's when you've got to take action. Trust yourself, man. It's so important um, because 10, 20, 30 times a day, some days, you are dealing with crowds of people mm. and 99.99% of them, they're good as gold. You know, the paparazzi, they only really buy, the papers only really buy like full-length pictures now, mm. like upskirt and all of that stuff. It's got the, the, the past, they won't, yeah, yeah, they won't touch They'll it touch anymore. It they won't. So they're, they're generally quite good because they always stay six to eight foot away from you because mm. they want they're full length. Yeah, they want the big full length sell photos. Because yeah. mm, that's money. what sells at the moment. Yeah. So that's kind of made our job a lot easier. And to be honest with you, the, the coronavirus has made our job so much say, easier. You, because can you take the principle at this yeah, point? You're wearing yeah. the mask, you're staying away. You can't well, I mean, well, well we're all masked up, but it's as simple as that. It's like 
social distancing guys just stay back do you yeah, know what I mean? just, free and, just yeah that. exactly and then people straight away because it's been like it's been hammered into them on the news mm. and everything so much they're like oh yeah yeah, yeah you're especially right especially at the start of the pandemic not so much now but at the start yeah. maybe, isn't it? But I always like Mitch says well when I used to like, feel, feel them out I see what I, I, sometimes I used to just ask uh, someone in the crowd like a simple question if you got if or they feel like if they've got a funny vibe off of them, but I normally ask them just like a basic question. Say like, "Oh, where have you been today?" Like, mate. And then if they're like, "Oh, yeah, I went Costa for coming," and then if you're, "Oh, you're probably right," how they gauge. But if they like straight away, if they've got an action, like, "Oh, what's got to do with you? Why are you asking me that?" You think, "Oh, you might present a problem later." I mean, mm-hmm. so just asking them like a, a, a general question normally just gauges what sort of, just to get a response like off them sort of thing to see what sort of like how they, how they are. Are they hostile or not sort of thing? But like. It said on 99.9% of the time, they're good as gold, but it only takes like that like, one person. But yeah, and you've got to keep your eye out for anyone because the stalkers and stuff like that, they're like pretty much like the, the main threat. It would always be someone you like least expect, really, that's um, like the big, biggest threat. Like. Oh, 100%. And there's so many different instances. And where it gets even more tricky is when people get their, their crowds, their friends, their groups, their groups expand. And then you get the lurkers, people who try and get the plus ones and so on and so forth. Like, for example, say with McGregor saying he has SBG, Dublin's got all his family from there. But then he goes out and trains in Dubai. Who's his new training partners? Who's his new family? Like, you see it in a male type, everyone's brothers. Yeah. Oh, my bro. It's like, oh, how many brothers you got? <laughs> your brother does know something. How many family members you got? What's going on? But then it comes to like the private jets and things like that with McGregor in that closed, confined space. How do you manage something like that? So, I mean, you are working. A lot. So in the team, we all have different roles. Mm. Um, <clears throat> what you'll see is like a cluster of bodies around someone. Um, however, most individuals there have their own specific skill. So whether they be um, a translator or a linguist or something like that, there'll be the personal protection officer, escort section, advanced team, um, medic, whatever it might be. Everyone will generally have their own skill. As the what's called the personal protection officer, that is probably, well, it is without a shadow of a doubt, the most intimate role with the principal. And this is, it's an incredibly difficult job. It takes years of proven experience to do that because the, the job of security itself is easy. Knowing the skills, knowing the drills, planning, preparing. Once you've done it a few times, it's pretty easy. Mm. What makes close protection so difficult and so unique in the security industry is it's it's a people business you are dealing with people you're dealing with personalities you're managing personalities so you are in intimate space with them all the time and yeah you get and you're there for everything like literally everything you're there for the 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 highs the lows the arguments the ups the downs and all the rest Mm. of it and you you you're kind of in a fly on the wall type of situation um I have always kind of adopted a a speak when spoken to Mm. mentality. And I think one of the big downfalls of CPOs is trying to get FaceTime with the principal. And I'll tell you why. Because they lose respect for you. Because it's like this, he's just a fanboy. Whereas if you're there doing what you're meant to be doing, taking it seriously, minding your business and your job, they take you seriously. Like they may not say anything, but trust me, they respect the grind. Mm. And one of the worst things you can do as a, as a professional is become what I call the bodyguard, not the, mm. the bodyguard right yeah, there. Because they don't take you seriously anymore. They don't take your profession seriously, right? And before you know it, you're out, you know, picking up their missus's brother from the airport yeah, yeah, and you around. walk in the dog and, and you know, you just become another one of the entourage, basically. Um, so for me, working in that, that close space with them all the time is you've got to know when to give, give them distance. You want to, at any point, try and be as like far away from them as you can, believe yeah. it or not, or as be as detached from them as you can. And you've got to be very in tune with the individual and you know them better than you know anyone else. I, you know, I can tell my, like the guy who I work for now, I can tell within a second of looking at him, like if he's in a good mood, if he's in a bad mood, you know, if something's going to go on today or, um, you know, because you know him so well over a period of time, you really do, because you're, you're in that, that inter- you know, what they drink, what they eat, what, you know, how they like their blooming steak cooked and cooks them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, everything like you do, yeah. Most yeah. confined spaces you're trying to fit into Connor's car. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> six, true. six foot five. <laughs> and, I mean, trying to get call, into his, uh, 
getting in and out of like Lamborghini. I have to put my hand on the floor to get in and out of them. And yeah, it's a so that was an Abu Dhabi. When Lamborghini won it, or which one was that? No, that, that was oh, Dubai. that was in uh, now nah, Monaco. 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 So there's yeah. the, before we carry on. There's the more Monaco. than one instance when he's in the Lamborghini with Conor McGregor. He struggles to just drop like a free to. So when you're speaking to someone of that kind of high profile, and like you're saying there, you're there on work, but they are this person. When you start building that rapport within that relationship, it's almost quite surreal that they're just normal people in this sort of position. Um, it can be. It, it is hard to build that re- the relationship you have one with a, with with your principal is a very unique one. Um, in the fact that, um, like I've worked for people for almost like a number of years, and I've probably had three or four lines of conversation with them in that mm. time because my job isn't necessarily PPO or whatever. And truth be told, I've worked on teams where I guarantee you the principal wouldn't know all of our names. Mm. Like they wouldn't know how to to contact us. Do you know what I mean? If mm. they wanted to. Um, it is kind of surreal that you see the other side of the camera. And what I would say is what you see in the media isn't necessarily how they are as a person. Like I always said, I always said, Connor, he's he's a great actor. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, the man is, he, there's no doubt about it. He's an absolute genius. Um, but the notorious, notorious MMA is very much a character who mm-hmm. he plays a lot of the time. He's, um, he's a much uh, quieter and... Um, he's yeah, he's very quiet, and he's almost. I always say he's got a personality like an artist, where he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve, believe it or not. And mm. he's a really like in his heart, like he's a good. He's he tries to do the best thing, whether he always does the best mm. thing or not is a different story. Mm. But I do believe that he always has like good intentions most of the time. And but like I said, he's he's a phenomenal actor and he's a genius. He, you know, notorious MMA is is a character who he he plays mm. and. You know, made him a billionaire within you know a matter of years, didn't it? So, well, there's the quote as well from McGregor about Casa how he lost his mind to the art and everything else, and then when he's this successful, his family can have all these things. Um, James Mystery from Full Reptile read it back to him like X amount of years later for the Dustin Poirier rematch. Was, he yeah. got quite choked up by it, and again, that kind of thing is like you're saying there. To be that person to get that far, you need many things about you to get you to that stage, and so with MMA and mixed martial arts the art side of it and that expression and that kind of personality really shows the way he's adapting over the years and like you're saying there the the image the game and like someone who hasn't fought or even like successfully won in x amount of years is still the number one paper not pay-per-view person he's the man because he's kept this image he's played the game well he's still even though you can't say he's done this that and the other recently we're he's still the still, highest paid athlete still, in the world on paper we still talk about yeah, yeah. Like exactly that and when it comes to other principles regards of like say the boxing space and things like that, is a like, sort of procedure quite similar. Like say, uh, Ryan mentioned you did some work with Evander Holyfield, Roy Jones Jr., those kind of high profile guys. Is it similar to Um it's it's always yeah, it it's always pretty it's always pretty similar. Um the job is the job, but every single you know, it's not a one size fits all service. It is very much a bespoke service. You do mm-hmm. things the way um, they want him to be done. And obviously, I was working with uh, Evander Holyfield and Roy Jones Jr. long after they retired, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so they were going around doing like a lot of uh, after-dinner speaking and oh, public meet kind of and greets and, and things like that. Um, <clears throat> but the one thing I could say about all of them, without a shadow of a doubt, is they're all, and anyone who I've ever worked with, they're all like huge personalities. And not only that, it's like, when they're talking, like you want to listen to them, mm. and they, there is, you know, like there is a certain fingers, the X factor, you know, like the show that that yeah. that is a genuine quality. You can't put your finger on it, but like these people have it. There's something almost like when you Especially when you see them, mm. even when you see them like face to face, you can see there's something different about them to mm. the results here. Like they've got this certain quality, this this uniqueness about them that makes them. And it's not necessarily the way they look or dress or say anything. There's just something there. You can't put your finger on that. You know, like, they're either going to be a star or Something's they are a star. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's like when Dana White first met um, McGregor, he, he, and that's what he said. He goes, as soon as I met him, I said to, I said to, he said to his pal, he goes, I said to him, if this guy can even throw a left hook, he's going to be a star. Mm. It's simple as that because he has got that unique 
star quality about him. He really has, do you know what I mean? Um, so, and they all tend to have that, to be honest with you. But sometimes they don't like realise it themselves. Because I remember uh, talking to the X Factor, working with someone who like won the X Factor, and um, he was there, and these girls are like screaming, like nearly like crying, like borderline like fainting sort of thing, go mad. And he turned around to us once, and he said, oh, "I don't get it either." <laughs> he, like, he just like he was so like blase. But sometimes uh, when the da- a lot of them are, like really are down to earth, but sometimes when they are like down to earth, like it makes like, our job a lot hard- harder as well because. Uh, this uh, particular one, like, what to just use the public toilets because he hasn't been yeah, an not. A-lister that that long, and but it's like no, and people swarming him, he, and then afterwards he's like, he wanted to pop to like Nando's and the stuff. Grabbing and, the field deal and the rest of it. But Tesco yeah, we, we, when he wants to go like Nando's, it takes straight on the Facebook like status and probably when everyone was going to be there, so you have to like try and like get away from getting away from that snow like uh, quite quickly. But yeah, I, I think that's what I find with uh, some people I've worked with, especially in the music industry. Like I've worked with some like big name rappers, like some of the biggest rappers this country's ever produced, and some. Sort of bigger singers, uh, male and female, as country ever produced. Like when you when you're with them, we like I've, you have like conversations. They they they're sort of like a bit um, bewildered by the whole thing themselves. They don't really like understand why they're like such a big star. That's the impression I got with some of them. Like you'd be quite surprised how down to earth like they are. Like but um, like what Mitch was saying. Like we're just trying to like uh, like do our job. I would always had a rule like. Um, and never speak to them unless they speak to me first. And mm. whenever I first work with anyone, I, if it's a, a male, I, I call him sir all the time until he says, I'll oh, just call me mm. like James or like whoever. But I try and like, like stick to like professional like, all the way through. Like don't speak to them unless they speak to me first. And then try and like, um, just always call him sir. And then if you do speak to them, try and like get information for the team. It'd be like, oh, when do you think you're going for your next coffee break? And then you, you have a reason like, to speak to them. Yeah, it's like, or like, oh, I need, I need to go for fag soon. Or like, or like, some of it's going to be like, oh, do you think you're, what you're going to do after here or how you feel and stuff. Like, that's what the, uh, they were saying about, like, the PPO, because it was always next to them. They're, they're, like, sort of, like, um, if you do talk to them, that's going to give information, to, like, to the rest of the team. So, like, where, where they're going to go, how they feel and what they're going to do. Because that, that information the PPO gets can, like, be, like, absolute gold dust for the rest of the team, you know what I mean? Well, that's it. And again, you're saying before and how reactive you have to be where their plans, like, change. You see... McGregor's a prime example. Again, you see him like with Rolexes. You see these things going out on these bike rides and all these other things. Like, very almost, unpredictable they can be. Exactly. It's being able to adapt to that, being able to do all these things. Is there any particular principle, any particular strange habits or very unorthodox or used to be, you know, yeah. very sporadic things, spontaneous? I've heard some people who are quite like party animals and some, some rappers and stuff that are pretty wild, but I, I couldn't say on, on the air. Oh, of course not, yeah. But on the flip side, you get like some people that... Um, Really regimented, so it makes it a lot easier. Because uh, Mitch was working with a couple of actors, like Al Pacino and um, Robert, De Niro, Robert De Niro. He said he's like really like structured, and he even said army, didn't you? At a certain time. So, so on the on the flip mm-hmm. side of the wild ones, you get some people that like uh, you know exactly what they're doing at certain times, like. As well. yeah, there's some of them that they do run like clockwork, and he makes your job really easy. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of them, they're not because. They want. They're just. They're living their life, and our job is to adapt around them. Mm. They they should not have to bend to what we need. Mm. We we move around them, and <clears throat> you know, the problem is they don't understand that a lot of. It's not as simple as, you know, when you're an A-lister, you can't just go to Dubai Mall and go shopping. Mm. There are certain procedures we need to put in place. There are, you know, we need to notify security we're coming. We need to make our own security mm-hmm. arrangements. We need pickups, drop-offs, contingency pickups, drop-offs, exit routes, That's everything else like that. Things. We need a plan of how to get there. And if something does happen, we need immediate actions, how to get out, how to keep them safe and all the rest of it. And I think a lot of the time they they neglect that. And it is always for us, it's just what, what we say is it's rush, ready and wait. Everything... <laughs> You sp- believe it or not, as a CPO, you spend so much time sitting around doing nothing, like literally so much time. But when something does happen, it it's got to be like it's got to be like a Swiss watch, man. Everything oh, yeah. it's got to be clockwork. Do you know what I mean? It's every moving part has got to boom, boom, boom. That's why it's like mentally draining. Cause you always like got to try and stay switched on. And it's pressure, man. It is pressure, mm. and especially when you've got the world watching the world stage. Because the other thing is. If something happens, not only is it bad for the principal and everything else, but like it's a massive professional embarrassment for you. Mm. Like if if you had a an incident happen, like that's a career stopper. Your career is over, man. Do you know what I mean? And then some everyone's people know see. who you are. You're yeah. the person who was then with so and so. You're the reason because of this and all exactly. that. And I guess well, 
the industry is a small network as well. Like it wouldn't take long. Everyone sort of knows each other in the industry as well. So and you get a lot of keyboard warriors. Like no yeah. doubt, this like this is going to get posted, and there's going to be good. There's going to be CPOs saying good things. There's going to be CPOs yeah, saying bad, bad things. things. Yeah. It's, you know, you get a lot of that. You can't win. You know, people are reposting videos of things that have happened, and um, you know all the rest of it. There's what about this? What about that? And the other yeah. have got an opinion. And that's an interesting point with regards to the actual the CPOs themselves and the people involved as a collective. So the requirement versus what is actually able of the person. So to be focused, to be switched on for that amount of hours at a time, to deal with that pressure, to be focused, because just the fatigue alone and making mistakes and human error, how do you even account for that? Was it rotations? Is it just a preemptive thing? Um, Sometimes you try to, uh, I think a lot of it's once again to do with your training. It is mm. like you, you, you are trying to do that. But the, the other thing I do tell everyone and like i tell when i go and lecture and things like that i'm ultimately like this isn't for everyone like not everyone even is is robust enough to do the job you know not even physically mentally like mm. you know there's been days where for 20 30 40 days in a row we've stood outside of um a villa in dubai in you know the early part of the summer and it's 30 mm. 35 degrees and you know you're there for 12 hours stood up no breaks do you know what i mean like that you know and everyone thinks you know you could do it for a day but do it for 40 days mm. in a row right and you know there's there is a certain amount of discipline and dedication that goes mm. into that but i think it comes back to um a discu discussion i have a lot with people is um you've you know, you've got to understand you're there for a serious purpose. These people don't have CPOs for as a it's designer like handbag. It's like you're there for a real, there's, there's a real potential problem and you have to take that seriously. You could be in the middle of Johannesburg working with a 12-year-old girl who's a genuine kidnap risk. Like her life is in your hands. Like if, you know, if we have a bad day at if you have a, mm. we have a bad day at work today, you know, oh, that podcast wasn't very good. Like, yeah. if we have a bad day at work tomorrow, it's someone's it's been kidnapped yeah, or yeah, someone's dead, serious, mate. Yeah. You know? So you have to take that really seriously. And I think the main thing is people shouldn't be asking what their protector can, what their protectee can do for them, but more what they can do for their protectee. Mm. Because a lot of people are focused on the, the money and the... Because, you know, you, obviously you're rewarded, you're compensated well for your, for your duties, like, um, and... But it's like I always tell people, we don't get paid for what we do. We get paid for what we might have to do, which is also, which ultimately you you adopt these threats as a CPO. There's and some of them are very credible, and they're not. You're not always dealing with street level criminals. You're mm. dealing with highly organised gangs. I mean, well, not oh, much backup either. Yeah. Mm. And and that's it. And it is you, you know, if we're a CP team now, there's no air support or yeah. you know um one of us injured or anything then, like that we've yeah, got like, to look out for each other we've got to like be like on the spot like to get the medical like side of things that's what i tried and get my medical skills like quite good like because like in, in the military it was like a lot different you had to like you could rate radio through but well, the cp team's a cp team i mean so like you just have to like trust the blokes around you everyone's up to like a good standard and if anything does happen everyone's like ready to react as well it's like it is like what you say, what, what kind of draining like mentally sort of thing. I suppose it's the same as like when you're on, when like yourself in compete or when you're like fight week. But like, but when you're on taxi, you're like that all the time, and you're like doing mm. like backstage to like drain you. And then, like Mitch says, well, like, it's not for everyone because like until they've done the job, they they won't know. The same as like like competing in uh, MMA. Like when you're backstage, till then, and you're like, oh, when you get the knock at the door, you're on in five minutes. That feeling, that's when you know yourself, is this for me or is it not sort of thing. So it's one of the things you can't emulate. You don't really know until it happens. But um, you get like some like CP guys on task and they can handle it like really good. And you think, oh, you're like made for it. And the same as some of the fighters, you see someone like oh, on fight day and they're, they're just like dancing around like, like Someone like Tyson Fury, whatever, he just loves it, doesn't he? He doesn't really seem phased with it. And someone else could be like really like suffering from it. So I think with the, the CP side of things, a lot of like doormen like want to do it and they think to do it, but no, you can't, you can never really like know if like it is for you and, until you actually like do it. So I mean, I mean, it's literally life and death. And when it comes to the further stages of things, it's just so much going on. So many things to think about mentally taxing. One thing I would be concerned with is your own conscience, you're overthinking things. Like a lot of these kind of roles, there's so much to think to analyze. Overthinking is almost underthinking. There's so many things to keep going. Like, how do you settle once you've made your plan? Obviously, you say you trust yourself, but you're going through so many different things, all these ever-changing factors. How do you settle at a certain point that this is 
done. I mean, ultimately, there has to be a point where you just pull the trigger, and that's why you have a team leader. Like, if I go and wreck your location, my job is to go up to him now. Um, so reconnaissance is like an information mm. gathering mission. Um, and I'll say, right, we can drop off here. These are the pros and cons of A. We can drop off here. These are the pros and cons of B. We can drop off here. These are the pros and cons of C. Mm. His job is to go, right, we're taking B. And he, and you know, to listen, not just to be like, you know, a dictator, but to listen to the team. But ultimately, someone has to make the decision and someone and you know like when Ryan was saying about taking over as the team leader on that job I always tell people like it's really easy to drive from the back seat mm. but when it comes to the crunch only a few people are actually gonna you know when the knife's to your throat only a few people are gonna say actually yeah, I'll take responsibility for that this is what we're gonna do and this is how we're gonna do it mm. and ultimately as a team your job whether you think it's right or wrong you can bring it up to your team leader but ultimately you're going to see it through to its conclusion you are going to follow your orders um so to get to that point that that rests on the team leader's shoulders mm. and he will take the advice of his team so well what are the pros and cons here what are the pros and cons here okay this sounds like the best okay um that's kind of how you get to it and you are right there is a lot it is possible to overthink things the, and one of the the worst enemies of a one of the worst enemies of a good plan is the dream of a perfect one. Mm. A good plan executed aggressively now is far better than a perfect plan next week when it doesn't matter. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So and <clears throat> yeah, it is possible to over. And I think one of the the biggest problems you have is, and especially when I'm training people, is they overcook it. Mm. Like just. Keep it simple. Keep one of the best piece of advice I, I ever received was keep it organic. Like, you know, if they want to go to the shop, drop them off at the front door and walk them in. We don't need to go through the secret stairway yeah. every time and all the rest of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, have that on the back burner. But for the most part, keep, I draw attention to yourself. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I always refer to them as, as a guest. Give the guests, that's how I look at them, they're our guests, mm. give them the experience, give them an organic experience, do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, they're not always going to be wanting sneaking down back alleys yeah, yeah. and everything else like that, are they? You know, give them the experience, that's what we're there for, we're there so they, they can live their day-to-day -day life as normal as, as normal as you yeah, yeah. or I could, do you know what I mean, within Safe reason. reason yeah. yeah, the closest we can make it for them, yeah. yeah. That's a very interesting way to sort of take this whole thing as well, where it comes to dealing with these high-pressure situations. And this is my very tenuous link back to MMA for everyone. Yeah. So when it comes to dealing with these jobs, when you've got such high-profile people, when you're feeling that pressure on your shoulders, how do you process that emotion? How do you deal with that? Um, it, it's v Personally, like I thought it, it is very difficult. Um, I think you become conditioned to dealing with the stress. Like, it never goes away. And the truth is, you don't want it to go away. Exactly like in a, an MMA fight, you don't want that, or a boxing match. Um, you don't want that feeling to go away because it, you, it makes you sharper, it makes you faster, and, it, and you know, it, it's, uh, it's almost like your, you know, your natural armour, isn't it, that mm -hmm. adrenaline? It massively reduces the feeling of pain and yeah. makes you stronger, faster, sharper. So... I think the day that I stop feeling like that is probably the day I'll retire That's because right, yeah. you don't care anymore then, do you? It's like, yeah. oh, I don't care. It's like when a fighter retires, when the fire goes out, you yeah. can't really do it. I think on that as well, I think like um, to stay on it as well, like never to underestimate anyone. Like same as like when you go into an MMA fight, if, if you're the heavy favourite, like they when like, put an example, like when GSP lost to like Matt Serra the first time, like mm. we could do that in the CP role. If we're like, oh, Mitch, like, the guy we're protecting is not as big as what used to. Like, oh, this venue's not like we just, we won't really plan it that much. We'll get an early night. We'll just leave it sort of thing. And then on the day, everything can go wrong. Like, so I think that's to stay sharp as well. Just never, never, never underestimate any like situation because one of one of the easiest gigs potentially on paper could actually turn out to be like one of your worst. You know what I mean, because you 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 do switch off and you sort of do underestimate the situation. You don't process the whole thing properly. Yeah, yeah. One thing, a bit mindful of time. I'm going to finish up with some questions I've had through from Instagram. One question was your first uh, role in the position you're in now. So you said about the X Factor. What was your first profile case? Um, funnily enough, actually, it was X Factor as well. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I started off working for a 13-year-old a uh, guy who was a, a singer on X Factor. Um, my first real big break, my first superstar was, was Arnie, 
as a, that was my first superstar, but actually, uh, funnily enough, I was quite young when you did that as well. Yeah, you? that was oh, over 10 years ago now. Yeah. And uh, I was working for Cheryl Cole as well on the X Factor at some <laughs> point as well, which was was pretty good. That was pretty cool. Yeah, because I was quite a bit older by the time I hit like some like big names for me, but like, Mitch got like quite young. He was had a responsibility, like a young age sort of thing. Like, so he did well on that, yeah. You mentioned a few names like beforehand where it was like Jean Claude Van Damme, all these sort of like. We've got to put it in there because like, of the MMA podcast, Jean uh, Claude Van Damme, because he pretty much, his film, like, what was how MMA, the idea of a comedy, yeah, uh, Bloodsport, wasn't it? Um, what did you think of Jean Claude Van Damme? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I did work with Van Damme um, and he he's a real giver man he loves getting into the because he believe it or he's got a massive cult following you know like blood yeah. sport kickboxer yeah. and the combat but all, sports, all the, yeah. pe the people he draws in they're all mature now they're all in their 40s and yeah. you know that sort of thing those are the crowds that are going to see him um but he, lo he he's hard work because he loves getting into the crowd and like karate kicking people in the head and all that yeah. you know as he does like you watch the videos like interacting yeah, yeah he around. does he loves to interact with people and um but he's a, he's an incredibly deep thinker, you know, like a real deep thinker. Mm. Um, and but yeah, he, he was a pleasure to work for actually. Real real good dude, real good guy. All the questions did you get on Instagram? There's or, quite a few sort of a, strange habits from highly successful people. Anything you notice recurring when it comes to these high-profile, really famous people doing really really well in their fields? Is there an, a sort of consistent theme you see in them? Uh, what? As in, some of them are quite similar. As in their ways. habits, their attitudes, habits, yeah. things like that. Um, yeah, not not uh, so much sort of thing. Some some of them were like, uh, like funny in a certain a certain ways. I think like one of them needed like wanted their like coat on the like particular like hanger, and then some of them don't want to like go in a smoking area with the public. They want to go like certain ones. So sometimes they can be like like quite tricky with that. They've got like little, little certain habits they don't want to uh, break. Yeah, so that can make. Uh, it. To be fair, the ones that are fussy and picky, like actually like the easy ones to work with because it draws a crowd. It's the ones that are really humble and stuff. Like, I had like, a DJ, like, a high-profile DJ, looked after once, and he he was going in the toilet, and everyone like swarming and trying to take pictures. And we just went into the normal toilet, and every time he went for like a, um, a fag break, he just went into the, the yeah. public one and stuff. And that was a bit of a nightmare. But yeah, with the habits, you do get a couple of them that are like set in a certain ways and. They want like the water at a certain temperature and stuff, but um, but as as a pattern, and not not so much really. Everyone, it's like everyone you meet in life. Everyone's different, isn't it? Really, I can't really pinpoint. Yeah, like, I don't know if habit. there's like I don't know if I could say there's any one particular thing that they that all successful people share. I mean, actually, there was a book um, written about that concept, which mm. is like think and grow rich. Is yeah. and he went and studied the most successful people to see what they did. Um, I don't think there's one thing I could necessarily say they all do, but what I can without a shadow of a doubt tell you is the the biggest, biggest stars, the real huge like mega stars and the icons are always the nicest people. And it just, it really goes to prove like, you know, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Like that it's always the superstars who are, are really nice. And it's, you know, you, you sort of Zed Listers that are the divas and the yeah. ones that yeah, are Love Island yeah. or people are trying, to, trying the, too hard to yeah, get anyone in the They're the ones who uh, be more problematic. So mm. I think that the, the, the bigger, the one thing I could say about the, the really big stars is Generally, most of them are all very nice and, and humble people. And it's kind of, we used to have one guy we worked for and it was this guy, and he used to wind us up because he'd do this sort of thing. He'd go, oh, I'm having my dinner now, make sure no one disturbs me. And then there'd be some fans like walking over yeah. and he'd look at you as if to like, yeah, yeah. so go and stop him. So you go, all right, just yeah. hang on there. And he'd go, Mitch, what have I told you? Sit down, come over here. Yeah, like to try and yeah. wind us up for that. Yeah, bit, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, saying money don't, uh, as I saying that money doesn't uh, change people, it sort of like um, um, unravels their, their true character. So definitely exaggerates it. And from this conversation, you can almost feel that it comes full circle. You have that, I don't know, you're exposed to this new world, but then you climatize to it over time. But say it takes a lot of time. But say thank you so much for your time today, guys. Um, so, Mitch, your company again, people who want to get involved? Um, Bydan Security, you can see us at, You can see us there, Bydan Security. Um, and, yeah, I'm happy to talk to anyone who would, would want to pursue a career in um, close protection. And I know a lot of your listeners will be MMA fighters, so this might be, you know, a viable, you know, a viable living or profession for them. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is something I wanted to also bring up specifically, because of Ryan as well with different backgrounds or things being included when it comes to MMA, they're not the usual nine to five hours. These are things where it's antisocial hours, they're all things that could work out for people with the right schedules. 
And when you're training and you're fighting, your hours aren't the nine to five. So these sort of roles in the same sort of environment you want to be in, I mean, it seems to work out quite nicely. I also shout out to our sponsors, English Hypnotist. So when we talk about mindset is so important in everything you do. I worked with Rich in my last camp and just that kind of control over it and that it's a very personal thing to really appreciate. So anyone who wants to take a step up in the mental game, whatever they're doing, English Hypnotist, thank you for your time, guys. Cheers, Dan. Thank, thank you very much. much. Thank you very much. Awesome. That was awesome.